0: That cigar. How about that cigar? Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 132 of How about That Cigar Live. Thank you so so much for joining us live on Facebook, live on YouTube. And for those of you watching or listening after the fact, if you're listening on one of your favorite audio podcast platforms, thank you so much for making How about That Cigar part of your regular audio podcast rotation? As always, we want our viewers and listeners to uh, enjoy what we have here on the show, Uh, especially tonight. If you are live watching, join us in the comments. Let us know what you're smoking. Let us know what you're drinking. If you have questions along the way, please make sure to post those as well. As always, guys, you know that we are live in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios, and let's talk about the beautiful new size of The Deadwood Leather Rose, the boldest of the four bewitching Deadwood sisters. She is showing off a new side of her sultry personality with Drew Estate's launch of the Deadwood Leather Rose Petite Corona. The spiciest of the Deadwood ladies, Leather Rose features a rich Maduro wrapper around an aromatic and exotic blend of aged, dark, air-cured tobaccos that offers an enchanting, bold, and sweet profile with notes of cedar, oak, white pepper, and earth that will leave you longing for more. Oh, you'll want the more. 4x43 Deadwood Leather Rose Petite Corona will be presented in 24 count boxes with an MSRP of $6.95 per cigar. For more info, please visit DrewEstate.com. So, episode 132, back in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios in the the uh, the, the bunker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll just call it the bunker. I just came I up like with it. that. It's brand new. I like it. Um, so, the World Series is set, starts tomorrow night. Um not super happy about the players that are in the you know the series. I, nope. I, I, I'm pulling for Atlanta. I'm just yeah. gonna say that. I'm pulling for Atlanta oh, for, um, for et- a lot of reasons. I love ed- I love Atlanta. Eddie Rosario, he's a former Minnesota twin. He's a super positive guy. He's a great baseball player. Yep. So I'm pulling for Eddie Rosario basically. Uh so I want Atlanta to win. Um your vikings did not lose this week
1: and it's funny that you had that on your notes because that's exactly what i was going to say
0: <laughs> yeah so the vikings definitely did not lose um they did have they, a bye week but so they they that don't bring oh sorry facts into it sorry don't bring fact don't don't cloud this issue yeah with your with your we facts did not <laughs> lose uh the packers beat the washington football team uh Packers have a quick turnaround so the Packers mm-hmm. uh my Green Bay Packers have a game in Arizona against the 6 and 0 Arizona Cardinals. Now, before the NFL season started uh a- anybody who said that Arizona was going to be 6 and 0, we would have called them crazy. I would have taken that bet, <laughs> but yeah, I would have taken that money all day. Yeah, absolutely. But yet yeah, here we are. Uh and I they are been they have been playing phenomenally well. Yep, and I don't like Green Bay's chances against Arizona, uh, especially playing in, in Arizona, Arizona on a primetime Thursday night game. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes. But um, and our beloved Minnesota Wilds uh, have they've started out the season four and one. They're playing pretty well, but they did the same thing the last, last season and the season before that. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, I I don't know.
1: Um, and I want to just talk about something pretty cool too. Um, I don't know, Matt, if you can uh, put the link to this in the comments section. But our buddy Risty, um, some of you may know Risty from JSK Cigars. He has started a cigar-related apparel company, totally separate from JSK. And I am wearing. this uh, amazing uh, unite shirt he's not a sponsor he's just a buddy and we like to support him i think these shirts are really cool personally um and if you go to this shop and put in hbtc as a code you get 10 percent off
0: there you go so there you go yeah they're cool fun uh cigar related uh swag and and stuff like that you can wear to your favorite cigar events your favorite cigar shops uh, and yeah, Risty's Risty's a friend of ours, and and just uh, wanted to give a shout out. Um, so we want to make sure that all our viewers tonight have uh, uh, have the opportunity to uh, see and hear everything we have going on. So let all the distractions fade away. Yeah, just listen to just, our voices. Just, just listen, just listen to our voices, and let uh, what is that the 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 NPR sketch they did on on oh my uh, gosh with the sweaty balls you know the ladies that had those sort of monotone yeah yeah
1: Yeah. just listen to our voices we're gonna smoke some cigars we're (laughs) gonna talk about cigars tonight we've got a great guest coming on the show
0: oh that's nice oh oh that's nice it is that's nice it's got a
1: good it's got a good (laughs) mouthfeel i like how it feels on my tongue
0: all right let's stop uh going down this rabbit hole let's go to our special guest of the evening And as always, special guests on How About That Cigar Live are brought to you by Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borschewitz believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and coronacigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, put your hands together. Welcome to episode 132. Welcome him back to How About That Cigar Live from Dunbarton Tobacco Trust, Steve Saka.
2: I can't believe I'm
0: here. I haven't been on a podcast
2: since... Uh... 12 hours ago. It's, been, my it's god. been like a couple hours since you were on a podcast. Fact, I'm, I'm gonna post tomorrow that I'm not on a podcast. That's actually what my post is gonna be tomorrow because I'm on another one on Wednesday and Thursday. So yes, that, that is the day off post tomorrow. for tomorrow. I'm gonna
3: I'm,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the world the break. Uh one night only, though. Just one night only. That's all, that's The all world
0: got. needs more soccer. Oh my well, god, if
1: you guys uh if you guys missed last night's show with bear uh saka and luciano put on a clinic of knowledge and i uh recommend all of you to go and watch that episode it's a little long but (laughs) (laughs) truth
0: bombs throughout throughout yeah it's good stuff by
1: the
2: way while we're talking truth bombs you guys know the cardinals are seven and zero they're not six and zero Oh, 7 and zero.
0: My apologies. And,
2: and I think in those wins, if I'm not mistaken, I mean they played some pretty decent teams. I mean,
1: they had have. the Rams,
2: they've had the Vikings, they had the uh they had uh they had the Browns in that mix. Yep. I'm trying to think of who else. They played the Titans hmm. who are no slouches, yeah. They had the Jaguars, okay. Yeah. They had the Texans, but you know, they had the 49ers, and the 49ers are a team that's capable of winning a game. Yeah. So uh, the Cardinals are the Cardinals are super legit. They they, they definitely, definitely are. are. Oh yeah. And
0: I and I I just what my hope is that Green Bay at least makes it competitive. You know, I I don't want it to be like the Week One at New Orleans with with Green Bay. I want it to be a competitive game.
2: Yeah, but doesn't it feel like with the Week One of Green Bay that that was just kind of an anomaly week? I mean, yes. I mean, they've they've been playing much better football. I mean, that week one game was a disaster, right?
0: Yeah. They weren't on the same page. Well, and it's possible. uh, I'm hoping this doesn't play out this way. but So Devontae Adams got a positive COVID test today. Uh, And and, and he has to. The only way he's allowed to play Thursday is he has to have a a negative COVID test tomorrow and a negative COVID test Wednesday. Otherwise, he is out for Thursday. And that is not going to be good for Green Bay.
2: Well, I think the bigger issue is not that just he's in COVID protocol, but chances are there's maybe two or three other team members that are going to end up showing up positive before game day.
0: Most likely, yeah.
2: And that would, depending on who they are, that could really suck.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out. of – I mean, I will watch the world. Are, do you do you watch baseball at all, Steve?
2: Um, you know, when we get close to the pennant race, I start to pay some attention. I'm i I'm a casual Red Sox fan. Um, and look, and for me, once we beat the Yankees in the, uh, in the wild card game, I was a, I was a happy camper from that point forward. Yeah. So anything after that was kind of gravy as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am surprised that, you know, I think we all expected the Dodgers to be there. So yes, the fact yeah. that we, the fact that we're looking at Atlanta coming from that side of the ticket, I think, uh, I think that surprises everybody. So, yeah. and I, I don't have a dog in that fight, whether it be the Astros or whether it be the Braves. And I don't know enough about baseball to comment even intelligently about it. So, I just uh, I won't watch the series. I can tell you that.
1: So, uh, before we move on to cigars, uh, what's your two second opinion on on Mac? A Mac Jones, I'm, I'm yeah. actually really pleased. I mean,
2: he's very poised. Um, he's he he has the ability to stay in the pocket. He's definitely proven that he has the ability to take a hit, and he's proven yeah. the ability that he isn't making stupid decisions. He 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 eats the sack or he throws the ball away. Um, he's very um, not air prone, and um, and he's he's got a very accurate arm. So. Everything I see about Mac Jones early on, I'm like, I'm like really jazzed about it. And I I think most Patriot fans are too. I mean, our area of greatest weakness is we have two major problems. We have, well, look, last year was a total wash. And coming into this year, I think we're kind of, we were hoping to get, have a 500 season. I mean, Rome (laughs) cannot be rebuilt in a day. Um, (laughs) But I think that, uh, I mean, we obviously have some offensive line problems that we need to address. And, uh, look, we have an aging secondary and now that that you have Stefan Gilmore out, um, the secondary, which was probably our greatest strength two years ago, um, is probably one of our weakest places. Now, now we have, we have good, we have good linebackers at this point. We have a very nice defensive line. I like how that looks. I like the stable running backs. I wish we had a true number one. I'm kind of I'm over Nikhil Harry. I was really excited yeah. when we drafted him in the first round. I was hoping to see some of that amazing yeah. play that we saw at Arizona State come our way. It just hasn't. It, it hasn't worked. For whatever reason, he just needs to go to another team. I believe he's a talented athlete, but it isn't working for the Patriots. I mean, when you got a guy like Jacoby Myers, you know, way out class. I mean, we got we got. Aguilar, who could not even hold on to a single football the entire <laughs> time he was in Philadelphia, right? The guy dropped, like, everything. Yeah. I mean, talk, talk to anyone that's an Eagles fan. I guarantee you they have at least six or seven games that they blame specifically on Aguilar by <laughs> Um I mean, even Aguilar is doing well, better than as than uh, Harry. So yeah. Nikhil Harry's a problem. Um, tight ends haven't quite... Produced John o. Smith, nor Henry has right. produced to the level that we would expect. But I'm going to write that off to new team, new environment, new quarterback. And the other thing, too, is because our line is so weak, these guys have to really play line duty more than they're yeah. playing even a receiving position. Yeah. Because if they don't, Matt Jones is just going to simply end up eating AstroTurf the entire <laughs> game. So it's kind of hard to judge how they are because they're having to essentially be an extra left and right tackle.
0: Right. Yep. Well, and I, I've have a feeling, and this is just a gut thing. He hasn't, nobody's hinted at this at all, but I have a feeling win or lose placement. No, regardless that at the end of the season, uh, Belichick's going to retire.
2: It could be. I mean, I have to tell you, I mean, being only one game back in our division is amazing. And the fact that, look, we were in it right to the end with Tampa, and we were in it right to the end with the Cowboys. And the Cowboys this year, as much as it pains me to say, I think they're actually legit.
0: They are. Yeah. I
2: think, well, they've been legit before, but I actually think that maybe they'll actually go through a whole season and not self implode. The fact that they haven't imploded yet makes me think that oh okay maybe maybe there's hope yeah. for uh, for for the cowboy fans and luckily they're in the worst division in football I mean I, I think every other team in their division's two and five yeah. right yeah but so, Dak
1: Prescott I mean that's an impressive return after yeah. seeing that injury and looking at what he's doing like
0: well and Zeke's uh, back on his game too. and
1: Zeke is back on his game I, I think uh, you know. They've, they've got a decent shot.
2: Yeah, I think so. And look, the Packers are right now well in control of the NFC North. The Bucs are way in control of the NFC South. Um, the West, you've got real competition, but it's between the Cardinals and the Rams at this point. Yeah. Cowboys are the only ones in the NFC in their division. Um, the AFC East, the Bills should win it hands down. They're a much yes. better team. Um, but oddly enough, we only find ourselves a game back behind them. So who knows what happens. Right. Um, I think the most competitive divisions are the AFC West and the AFC North. And I mean, who could have ever predicted that this would be what we'd be looking at with the Bengals? But I'm starting to think that this is actually like real. Like yeah. they're not yeah. just getting lucky that they actually they look good. Whereas the Steelers have won three games, but they look terrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so yeah, so the Steelers are a five hundred club, but they don't look like a five hundred club. Right. And, and the Chiefs the Chiefs don't get their shit together. They're going nowhere.
0: Yeah, they're no they're falling apart. I I think there's I, I don't know. It just it it, it feels like their 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 chemistry, their team chemistry has, has kind of gone there. to shit. Yep. So
2: I mean look, Patrick Holmes is amazing and a lot of their skill players are amazing, but you do have to actually play some defense. You yeah. do actually have to be decent on special teams. You know what I mean? You can't you can't have one side always come from a deficit of fourteen and seventeen points down that you have to recover from. That's just an unrealistic expectation. Because if yeah. that was a winning game plan, then the Detroit Lions would be Super Bowl champions for the last twenty years, right? <laughs> <I mean>. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I mean, they, they 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 have to figure something out in Kansas City, because what what they're doing right now is just it's ugly.
1: Well, people thought they were tuning into a cigar show, and little did they know. They oh, it's getting, a cigar show. They're getting yeah,
2: Mike sorry. and
0: Mike I'm smoking a cigar. <laughs> so, speaking of that, Steve, what are you? Uh, what are you smoking? What are you smoking this evening?
2: I'm smoking one of the uh, yet to be sold uh, Sincompromiso Paladin de Sakas
0: so uh well i i actually am also and this is one that i brought home from the pca trade is show you really so mine's i um and i love it
2: i like it Garrett's... a lot it's got a little more body a little more zip a little more pep i mean i love the sin line as is but i i like this slightly stepped up variation a bit more um like this and also it's just kind of in my it's in my wheelhouse size wise you know it's uh, it's uh, it's not quite as big a ring gauge so i feel like it's the good compromise of you know one of the problems with the sin compromiso line i feel like with the two smaller formats the verita magica and the intrepido i think it gives up some of the creaminess in those two sizes that you get in the larger formats and i feel as though okay this is a slightly skinnier format yeah probably smokes like a 48 ring gauge would be kind of where i would put it it
0: really does yeah
2: and and yet i still get the creaminess but i also get the extra strength level i i I think it's i think it's going to be a good addition to the brand i won't i won't sell many of them because of the price point of it but uh but i i think this is a nice i think this is a nice addition and i'll be very curious to see how uh how people feel about it when when they start doing a head-to-head comparison
3: and look, and yeah. part of that right
2: head comparison is also going to be the fact that this is $10 more. So that's going to figure into the math too, right? Cause you got to ask yourself a question. Okay. So he's asking me to pay this much. Is it worth me giving up an extra $10? Is it $10 better than a regular sin
0: for some yeah. customers?
2: I think it will be for other customers. I'll say, hell no. What's, <laughs> the sock is on crack. I don't know what he's thinking about,
0: but <laughs> well, Garrett's Garrett's smoking one of the original, uh, uh, I just picked these up today, actually, from a local shop. One of the, which size does that uh, sin sin in Yeah,
1: right. So which I'm is sure.
0: one of the
2: sizes I say is one of the. Just doesn't have the creaminess of the larger sizes.
3: Yeah, like I'm not the, getting much great, cream. But
2: I don't. I don't feel as though it's as good as the larger formats, which is yeah. weird. Because oftentimes the smaller formats are the ones that I tend to lean towards, but not the sin. And me, the the larger formats seem to play better with the Liga personally.
0: Mm, it's good stuff. I this paladin is it's definitely um powerful, but there it's also super rich. I mean it's 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 velvety. I mean yeah, for it's, lack it's of it's still a, velvety. It's still it still holds
2: yeah. onto the core smoothness. Yeah. Which is what the line is about is about being smooth and flavorful. So I mm-hmm. I don't I mean, if you're like a uber strength junkie, don't rush out of your way to get a Paladin to Saka. You're going to be you're not going to be blown away by, oh, my God, this is a pepper bomb version of Sin So it is not. It is just a stronger iteration. Just yeah. up a bit, you know.
0: Well, and for the for our viewers and, and people who want to know when they're and, and when are these when yeah. are these going to arrive in the wild? Well, they were supposed to be shipped
2: last week, but uh, the box maker managed to make three thousand boxes wrong. So, oh, we're trying to figure out how we can fix that problem, and not have to wait another six months. So, we'll see what happens. I right?
0: okay, yeah, it's just
2: everything that's relating to packaging has just been a debacle as of late. Yeah,
0: well, like, we've heard that from so many people. We had. Yeah, it's been a headache lately. So um, but when they do arrive, so this this uh this cedar sleeve will denote, you know, the paladin to Uh and also the band uh has instead of the 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 dark green with the white, it's got the dark green with the silver. Right. So that denotes it from the, yeah, the original. See, the silver order.
2: band alone cost another nine dollars. That's the reason why it costs so much, right?
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had me. You had me. <laughs> I bit I bit like I bit you like a did. like a small mouth bass. That was I'll Tell you what
2: though, legitimately in the volume and the the bands on Sin Paladin's cost. They actually do cost about 4 cents more. It's not a It's not what's really contributing to the big price increase. What's really contributing to the big price increase is that it has an experimental tobacco that's been grown as being used to increase the octane level. So the cost of that experimental leaf is built into the price of the cigar. And that's yeah. really what it's about. Now, as the cigar gets done, and you know, if it ends up being popular and we decide to expand it into more sizes and make it a bigger mark, then over time, those costs should come down um, is what you would like to think under normal world right now. Nothing's normal because everything just costs more than what it cost two seconds ago and two seconds before that. I mean, I'm I can tell you that at the factory level, my operating expenses for production have gone up 18% in just 90 days. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it's a beyond stupid number, and uh, and I don't and I and I, I'm probably a little higher than most people, but I don't live in a bubble. So in other words, if I'm experiencing these crazy kind of cost increases, everybody is experiencing these cost increases at the factory right. level. And I don't know what we're going to do with them because you, what you're hoping is you're hoping that it's a bubble and it's going to go away or do you instantly, because the problem is even if I take a minor cost correction at the factory end, by the time it ends up on the retail shelf, I take a nickel and it ends up basically equaling 50 cents on the, to the consumer. You know, in a tax state is what ultimately ends up happening. So it's, you know, we're always very reluctant to raise the prices because of just how they end up going through the system and getting multiplied along the way. Um, yeah. So I, I think right now we're all just kind of holding our collective breaths, hoping that what's going on now is a temporary situation, We can take a call. We're going to have to take everyone's going to have to take a price increase. Mm -hmm. The question is, are we taking high price increases, which I would consider five to seven percent, which is a crazy high price increase? Or are we actually going to take a price increase reflective of what the costs are truly happening? And I think most companies are going to try to take that intermediate uh, an intermediate step. Because you don't want to overcharge either. Because if you overcharge, then that decreases consumption and purchases. And when those go down, that means everything you're doing at the factory label level becomes less efficient. And everything costs you more. So you really don't want to do anything that ever actually slows the number of units that are being produced. Yeah. Because it ultimately ends up making everything that you're producing cost more. So it's, a, it's always a bit of a balancing act. Um, but I mean, if, if what we've been seeing for the last six months is truly the new norm, I think consumers need to brace themselves. Mm -hmm. These cigar prices are going to go really high. Oddly enough, simultaneously though, other cigar prices are going to go in the toilet because there's a lot of major manufacturers that are producing crazy quantity of back orders that I don't think are really real. I think that it's going to slow up. And I think that, You're going to find a lot of large manufacturers that are going to have so many cigars that they made that they're going to be looking to try to just dump them to cash recover. Even if they lose money, they lose less money than them sitting on them indefinitely. So Mm -hmm. I think it could be a weird tale of two cities in 2022. You could have certain products that are really dramatically escalating in price. and You can have other products that are going to like literally crater in price at the exact same time just because of how the companies responded to this weird bubble that we've been in, in the last 18 months. It's, there's a lot of uncertainty right now.
1: Right. Just, Has this oh, been the know. most difficult period of time to plan for the next few quarters? Um, there,
2: just stop. There is no planning at this point. Anyone that's planning, <laughs> cause I'm a planner. Every plan you make means nothing. Everything is like literally everybody is pretty much in fire control mode um i mean you make these plans and they're just totally irrelevant because you can't get some of the most basic things that were always available at a relatively the same cost you you can't get it shipped you can't get it moved you can't find it you can't source it when you do source it it ends up costing three times more than it used to cost i mean it's just it has become a really challenging environment for everyone to operate under, and I, and I don't think I, I, it's been nerve wracking. I can tell you that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I thought 2020 sucked, and I remember being so ecstatic when 2020 ended. 2021, from my perspective, 2020 was a cakewalk compared to 2021. 2021 has been my most difficult year in the 30 some odd years that I've been in this business, every part about it has sucked with the exception of just one thing, sales sales have been great.
0: Yeah. I
2: mean, it's like, it's like literally if, if I had the cigars I was supposed to have, I would have done three more million dollars worth of sales this year. I mean,
0: minimum three more million. Easy. And like you said, you're a, you're a planner by nature and, and, so you're not looking at the numbers that are coming in right now. You're looking at projections and the headaches that are going to have to lead to those projections going forward. Right. So, you know, you're viewing it with, Yeah, I mean, you can try in many circumstances to be as, you know, to be optimistic about it, but you have to look at what's really happening in, in multiple different markets, not just the cigar market, but it's everything. Everything is intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. Energy shipping,
2: energy shipping, fertilizer. I mean, look, I, I have like about four farmers who I commission crops with. And the way this works is I basically give them the starting money every year for them to do their plantings because they're small farmers and I want them to grow something specific for me. And so the way that works is I basically make a guaranteed purchase at a certain price, but in the advance I give them the money they need in order to be able to do the planting and the harvesting because they don't have the money themselves to do it. And in all cases I've had to give all of them twice as much as I've ever had to give them before because energy costs are out of control right now. And uh, look, and everything that you do in farming is directly tied to energy costs. It, it's, and we see what's happening with our energy costs in what is a relatively stable energy environment—the United States. Well, imagine what it is in a third-world country. So, us seeing gas double and triple um, doesn't even come close to what these people are feeling. I mean, it's—it's right. it, it's a mess right now.
0: Well, and they so they've got they've got all these vehicles that are needed to transport goods back and forth in these countries. They've got the, even if they're small vehicles like motorcycles, you've, you've still got to, you know, you still got to put some gas in the tank to get to and from. Plus you've got these massive at some of these factories, most of these factories, you've got buildings with, with, that are very, very large. You have to have fans. You have to have lights. You have to have, um, I, I can't imagine, and and you can't even rely on
2: the power grid. You also have to have the diesel generators to keep them right. Operating.
0: You right.
2: know, so you have those direct fuel costs, and it's not just the cost of the diesel; it's the cost of getting the diesel to where you're at, and that requires energy. And it's just it's a big, long, cascading mess. And honestly, what I find kind of funny is I think that all of us in business, we started seeing the trickle effect of the covid shutdowns as early as last summer Hmm. and it really kicked into high gear for us right around february of this year where things started to become like really really difficult yeah now i think just in the last like what 30 days that the average american consumer is starting to feel the impact of what we were seeing beginning at the end of last summer and really the shit hitting the fan early this year, you're now the consumer is now starting to see that they can't get the diet soda they want on the shelf. They can't get the vanilla syrup at Starbucks that they like to have squirted in. They're seeing <laughs> the that, you know, yeah. I, I paid over $5 a gallon for gasoline on my last trip. I didn't pay a penny less than like 395 anywhere. Um, you know, I, so I think now just in the last like 30 days, the average consumer is star, now starting to realize, wow this whole global shutdown covid thing it wasn't just the fact that it cost us x millions of lives it, it was just so incredibly disruptive
3: yeah. to the
2: supply chain and the logistics that it's crazy particularly when we operate in a global economy that has been trying to scale itself to be more of a just-in-time kind of scenario so that they didn't carry excess materials and all of those operating costs because They want to keep costs as low as possible so that consumers can enjoy the lower prices. The reality is, as soon as something goes a little out of whack, those crazy low prices are not possible. They're counting on everything working. And you always deal with certain things not working. But I've never dealt with everything not working. Everything being a problem. And it's everything. Everything. It's yeah. labor, it's tobacco, it's energy costs, it's packaging, it's cellophane, it's hinges for boxes. It's just literally shipping is an utter, just complete catastrophe. I think that uh, uh, I've never seen anything like this. I, I, I am so hoping. The nice part about it is if government would just get out of the way and not keep proposing stupid ideas that are just going to exasperate the situation, but they literally did nothing and left things alone for probably 12 months, I think the market would sort it out on its own. Because the yeah. businesses want to get back to doing business as normal across. The oh, world, absolutely. yeah, Right. But while we're talking about, you know, taxing unrealized capital gains, I, I know for the average person that's listening to this broadcast, that means nothing to them. That scares the living fuck out of every single small business owner in America. Okay. It doesn't scare the big corporations because they're just going to move off to somewhere else. But the companies that actually do things in America, the concept that I would have to pay taxes on an unrealized capital gain, something that I didn't actually get the money for, but just that my balance sheet has increased in value, that I got to pay taxes on that is insane because I'm increasing the balance sheet so that I can hire more employees, so I can buy more tobacco, so I can grow the company and make more jobs and earn more money and earn more profit so that I ultimately end up paying real taxes on money that I actually take. But if we're talking about taxing people on money they don't even take, right? oh, my God. I mean, that that is such a crazy policy. And to hear the Fed chairman yell and defend this thing in front of a, 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 center, a congressional hearing, this concept, It just tells me how clueless they actually are. So they they just need to stop for a moment, take a breath, calm down, fix the problems that are right in front of us. And I'm not getting into a global warming debate. I'm not getting into, hey, is universal health care a good idea or a bad idea? Is all all, universal child care? Those are all reasonable discussions we could have. But right at this particular moment in time, this is not the moment to be thinking of these things. Right. We need to find a way to stabilize this supply logistics problem and we need to find a way to stabilize this inflationary problem. and We need to get this back on track and then we can have these conversations. The problem that you have is I think that for the one political party, they feel as though they're probably going to lose control. 12 months from now, and they feel like if they don't do it right now, they may not have another time to do it. The sad part is right now is the worst time to it's do it. It's the
0: worst time. It's yeah. just
2: the worst time. And it's even worse for them too. And uh, But listen, that's me spouting on about politics. And all I know is I'm just operating as a small businessman, just trying to keep my head above water. But yeah, I, I can't even understand how we're having a conversation about tax money that you don't even make that that blows me away
1: how how are you sleeping right
0: now (laughs) i'm not yeah yeah
2: it's been a it's been a really and the funny part is anyone that isn't stressed out it's because they're stupid so if you meet someone that isn't stressed out it means one of two things it means they have a job and they're a salesman and they're just selling the cigars I gotta sell and they don't have to worry about any of this stuff. But anyone that's actually operating a business, I don't care what it's in. It can be in garage door openers, it can be in, you know, whatever. We are all dealing with just a shit world of a mess right now. And, yeah. and if you're not stressed, you, you just you're either completely disconnected from it, so you have no comprehension of it, or you're just genuinely stupid. Because there's no other two ways about it because i i have never seen anything like what i'm seeing now before and i do remember the stagflation years during the the carter administration and i'm not blaming carter for that the truth is we were kind of on that path from the early 70s and it was really kind of the culmination of probably 10 years of bad policy that ended up putting him in that boat but I remember when I got my first home mortgage, I got it for 14 percent and I got a good rate at 14 percent. Yeah, I I mean, we were paying credit card rates to get a mortgage. And and that is on the path that we are currently heading down now. Yeah, that's that's not good for the average American. It just isn't regardless of what your political disposition is. It isn't good
1: one if you uh, own a dispensary or you're in the CBD business you're probably also pretty stress-free because uh, things are going in your yeah. direction yeah those
2: guys are those guys are minting money they they're on the they're on the right side of the curve they're in a yep uber uber hot rapidly expanding business now I will say yeah. this though to my friends that are in those yeah, things, no
1: no disrespect to that industry
2: here the problem is eventually these federal laws will get sorted out and they'll all get absorbed and squashed by the big companies hopefully yeah. for them they get absorbed and they make a pretty penny but right now yeah strike while the iron's hot because the iron is crazy crazy hot yeah yeah i should
0: i should have gone into the weed business That's <laughs> same here yeah. same here
2: good god i don't know what i was thinking
0: so i want to i want to kind of jump back a little bit because you mentioned something about, um, when it comes to cigar, uh, sizing a cigar, uh, for a blend. And this is something that as we were talking through was coming into my head, thinking about different. And I'm, uh, right now, because you're on the show, I'm specifically thinking about your blends and there are some that, that are available in smaller, shorter, Vitolas. One in particular, uh, the 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 original Mi Corita in the Gordita size, one of my favorite cigars. I mm-hmm. smoke it uh at, at least on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. And that blend works really well, in my opinion, in that smaller, shorter size. And yeah. it also works for us being in a colder climate where I don't have to worry about freezing my balls off, smoking a four-inch cigar. But there are uh, as I think about it, as I'm smoking this this Paladin de Saka, and you mentioned you know possibly looking at the future of of maybe looking at different sizes and different vitolas, things like that. I, I would have to imagine there are certain blends that just you've tried in smaller and they just don't work. And for for me, as I'm thinking through it, as I'm smoking the cigar, because this is a longer this Paladin, it's a longer you know, length cigar, but there's things happening as, as it progresses. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's nuance changes and strength changes and you know, things like that. And I would imagine in some blends, it, it would almost be counterproductive or not worth it to put out a a four inch, you a know, four by 48, because it, it's not going to accomplish what the blend was meant to to accomplish is is that am i kind of on the right track with that
2: it was a very long question <laughs> to basically get to something that could have been said in seven words
3: The is,
2: certain blends work better in large formats and other blends work better in small formats period okay but the absolute truth is no cigars work in small formats from a commercial perspective Consumers are not willing to pay what it costs to make small format cigars. Now, there's a small subsect, a little tiny group that's willing to do so, but they're really they're the anomaly. They are not the norm. So consumers aren't willing to pay what it costs. So typically, when you see small formats within a brand, it's because the way the tobacco is being utilized on the factory floor, you just have tobaccos that are short or you have second cuts that you really have no alternative, but to try to convert it to cash and make some small formats. But, and I, and I said this multiple times, Robusto Toro and and Gigantes, those three formats are 80% of the sales. If you just made those three sizes, six by 60, a Toro and a Robusto, you cover 80% of all the cigars consumed in the United States. All the other stuff, Perfectos, Lanceros, Torpedoes, Coronas, Lonsdales, yada, 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 it all together is 20% of the market. So for the most part, the only time you ever see small formats made is because of leaf utilization, because it's the way that makes the most economic sense to try to keep the overall cost of the line down and to make best use of the materials you have, or because the manufacturer just, hey, I absolutely love these Coronas. And therefore, I'm going to make them. But if you're doing that and you're trying to price it with Coronas that are being made just to cost balance average out of another production, you can't compete. Because the reality is from a factory point of view, uh, the difference between a Corona and a double Corona is just the weight of the tobacco. So typically, the cost delta between manufacturing a double Corona and manufacturing Corona is only about 18% at the factory level. Hmm. So, I mean, and and therein lies the challenge. And look, Americans, which is the bulk of the market, um, has, has always preferred larger formats. Well, not always, but has in the last 20 plus, 30 years. And whereas the Europeans and the international market had stayed towards the smaller formats, well, they're changing their trend too. I mean, they want the large formats. In fact, I've only done one exclusive size for an international customer and i thought for sure they were going to want me to make something like a lonsdale or a corona or maybe a cuban corona gorda kind of size no they wanted a six by 60. that's what they wanted because that's what their consumers are asking for so yeah. as a general rule of thumb um yeah i mean the money's in the large formats because customers are willing to pay for them and the small formats are kind of almost a byproduct or they have to be a dedicated effort, is what ultimately yeah. to happen. You know, like if you got certain types of tobacco, you have no choice but to make small. I see Skip Martin there. Uh, I know probably, and this is me speculating. I don't know this is a fact, but Cameron tends to be small, so I bet that probably dictated some of the sizes that Skip got the first make when he started doing his Baca line, because you have to work with the materials that you you have. You know,
0: I think he mentioned that. I think he did say that specifically that that's the case. I mean, Gorditas
2: look when I'm making an Ancho Largo or I'm making a Tricky Traca, you know, number 652. Well, there's enough space to get another cut that I can make a four by 48. So I get to use that half of the leaf two times instead of just one time, you know. But when it comes like Pennsylvania Maturo, there's no extra cut, it's extra long, it's extra skinny. I can make two small cigars out of it, or I can make one long cigar out of it. But I can't I can't get a large and a small. You know, Mm. a lot of it has to do with leaf utilization, and then also what the manufacturer brand owner wants. But I mean, the thing is, consumers have to understand that if you want small formats consistently that are made out of dedicated blends, Mm. um, you're simply going to have to be willing to pay even though it only smokes for 40 minutes versus an hour and a half of the other. Because there's nothing to incentivize makers to actually make small formats if there isn't a LEAP utilization question at play.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, <clears throat> changing topics a little bit, um, are you willing to discuss the some of the independent people that were putting out some of the Squatch type materials um oh yeah i saw that on on i don't even know what we're talking about so you know some people were were making artwork with the sasquatch and you were trying to work with legal team and figure out you know what was a win-win situation for for everybody for some of these artists that wanted to produce this with no ill intent and and you um you know being a trademark owner and how that would work has that played out Well, it's played out to the level that I paid my intellectual
2: property attorney to come up with a, basically a a licensing agreement that would allow individuals to do so. Um, But, and I asked him to make it as light and as simple and as clear cut as possible. And uh, let me take a look at here. This is, we had the red flag discussion, right? Right.
1: <laughs> and while while steve is doing that this uh this issue came up where there was a lot of independent artists i shouldn't say a lot but they were making things you know for the Squatch group uh if you're not part of the sasquatch group on facebook Saka Squatch, soccer Squatch. <laughs> i uh i i highly recommend you it, it's a great group of uh obviously lovers of of uh dumbarton tobacco and trust and there were some artists making some things for for um other you know fans of of the brand and
0: and then there was some people trying to make a buck
1: yep and, on somebody else's
0: work yeah so, you know
2: but i don't really think I, I, nobody's making any of this squatch crap and getting rich okay so i, true, I don't i true. don't feel like anyone's like trying to take advantage of me in any way right it's not like i want to make money off every hat that someone makes or a t-shirt or a cigar holder or any of that I really number one I'm honored that people would spend their own money and go out of their way to get it done because you know to get a custom hat made costs you typically close to 50 bucks right when you make a hat so I mean they're they're doing it they're doing it because they genuinely like the brand so I'm honored the problem is you get into a lot of really sticky intellectual property law that if you allow that to happen and you don't go after those people that you're kind of waiving your rights to protect it when you do have a serious problem. When when whoever uh, my friends at Swisher decide that they're going to launch, you know, Bober Mesa, you know what I mean? And <laughs> it's gonna be whatever. And it's yeah. uh, so th- this is the problem. Yeah. So I was trying to find a way to get out of this. And my intellectual property attorney sent me this, what he considered to be a very simple agreement that would cover um, my concerns. And I'm actually looking at it now on the screen. I have yet to read it. It's 12 fricking pages long.
0: That's that's short for an IP lawyer.
2: Right. So, and, 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 and I responded back to him. I'm like, uh... This is your interpretation of simple and concise. Are you fucking kidding me? I will print and read. Thanks. Boy, I bet this cost me about 7K.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and his reply to me was You said you wanted all the protective points in the agreement, hard to keep it short and still cover all the protections. I'm happy to pare it down at no charge. But honestly, I don't know what is unnecessary in it. I think this is actually the bare minimum. Yeah. So, I mean, and and that's the problem. You just got a guy, he wants to make a really cool ashtray for himself at his house, right? That's one thing. He's making this DTT ashtray. And then what ends up happening is two or three of his friends see it. They say, Hey, can you make me one too? And the guy says, Yeah, but I got to charge you $40 for it because it costs so much to make it. I don't think this guy is getting into the DTT ashtray business to get rich, right? Right. Because he likes the brand. And you know, and he's willing to do the work, but the problem is that dumps on me a tremendous amount of intellectual property issues that I now have to maybe potentially deal with. Now, maybe I never will, but all of that yeah. stuff existing when I get into a real trademark intellectual property dispute with a real competitor, all of that stuff is going That's to be used against me. It's yep. going to be used as proof that I'm not defending my mark. I'm allowing people to use it willy-nilly. And therefore, I'm sacrificing the protections that the law affords me. And, yeah. and that's the part that's very hard to explain to the average consumer because they don't want to hear that nonsense. They just want a cool DTT hat and they think they're not hurting anybody. Right?
3: Exactly.
2: And the reality is, yeah, they aren't, but they really are. They just don't have any comprehension of how all of this stuff ultimately works.
0: Yeah. Well, what it's idea. similar to it, it's similar to, you know, back in the Napster days uh, and even before that, mm. you know, guys, uh, m- the vast majority of people who were taking their their CDs and putting them out out on the uh, for the world to download didn't what they weren't doing that to make a buck. They weren't doing it for any yeah. ill intent. They were doing it because they they thought this music. Hey, this this album's really cool. I want you guys to check it out. Uh, But but then it it it, I when it's when it's allowed to just be turn into the bull in a China shop and, and run rampant, then then it can if it it's if it goes too far, it can become detrimental to a brand.
2: And look, I don't know if you remember this. This was like maybe 10, 12 years ago, but Warner Brothers had to go after like every 12 year old that was starting a. Harry Potter fan site you know what I mean yeah, yeah. because they were using copyrighted images and video clips and all of these things and look Warner Brothers doesn't want to shut down that 12 16 year old even the 23 year old fan that's helping to make the Harry Potter universe more a community and spreading the love what Warner Brothers is worried about is what happens when Universal Studios makes something that's very similar to Harry Potter And they want to go after them okay and that therein lies the problem and it's 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 and it's such a difficult conversation to have that like it's a difficult conversation for me to have with intellectual property attorneys yeah okay and i've been doing this literally for almost three decades To try to have that conversation with a guy that just made a little DTT cigar stand and sold it to six of his friends, it just makes me look like I'm just a total douchebag asshole that I'm just trying to squeeze every nickel and every penny out of everybody on the planet when the reality is I love the fact that they do it. I just have to find a way that allows them to do it that I don't sacrifice My protections long term. What that's gonna require is an executed licensing agreement between me and that party. Yeah. I'm gonna read what my attorney wrote, I'm gonna see what it is. In the end, I'm just gonna kind of I'm gonna put it out there. And if people want to sign it, they can sign it. If they don't want to sign it, then they can't make the crap. And it's just that simple. Yeah. I I think there's some if he wrote it the way I asked him to, I said, like there's no royalties, but if you sell more than ten thousand dollars worth. At that point, we need to have a discussion, okay? But not even with any royalty amount set above that. Because the truth is, these people aren't making thousands and thousands of dollars of this stuff. They're literally just making a couple dozen, you know? Yeah. Uh, But on social media, when a picture gets posted, literally hundreds of thousands of people potentially see it. So they have no idea that the scale of this is him and two of his buddies. You know what I mean? Right, right. And it and the way IP law is structured, it doesn't matter. You're like literally supposed to go to war with everybody on everything, regardless of how small it is.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Who wants to go to war with some guy that's a huge fan of your brand and is just making a oh, call? Cool
0: absolutely. Hat, right? I don't want to go yeah. to war
1: with that guy. I'm thankful
2: that he's doing that.
1: Yeah. And that was, you know, from,
0: from the start, it was uh <laughs> skip. skip. <laughs> Risty just registered Saka Squatch NFT. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> Love it. The other
2: thing, I, I can't lay claim to Sasquatch for God's sakes, right? Right. right. Like I invented the Sasquatch. Not like I invented the unicorn. I mean, these these are things that, you know, but it's, you know, it's kind of a, does it have the cigar in its mouth? Do you refer to it as a Saka Squatch? Do you post it in the Saka Squatch Facebook group, which makes it even worse? You know <laughs> right. what I mean? You know, it's just like, it's just kind of like these chain of events. Like, really? And, you know, as far as my attorney is concerned, I should be sending everyone cease and desist letters.
1: Yeah. Right. And how that's you handled it. That's his but, opinion. You know, but, how you handled it was, uh, you know, super professional. And, you know, like you've already demonstrated, is, is far above what most um, people with an IP situation would do. And and I just I appreciate that that you went I to that most companies position. just
2: simply say no,
1: yeah yeah
2: You cannot do it stop doing it Boom. yeah because that honestly that's the, that's the easiest cleanest answer but then right. it always puts you having to police everybody and everything yeah it's it's the reason why you know there is no DTT Facebook group I mean there is one but I'm the only person that posts on it. I don't. I don't want to get into the being an administrator of other people's words. And I look. I barely have a hard enough time being responsible for the bullshit I write. (laughs) I'm not going to be responsible for the bullshit that all these other independent people write. Right. So you know, I I I need life to be simpler, not harder. Yeah. Is what I need.
0: So. Well, one one thing that we talked about. A little bit earlier and i want to kind of expand into the other part of it is we were talking about consumers smoking more cigars which is definitely true uh, over you know, over the last 18 months two years uh consumers smoking more cigars but i've also talked to a number of people recently about the other side of the market which is bringing in new people to the cigar world and that is uh creating new cigar consumers and so how do how do you see that when it comes to because i think in some part everybody has at least a little bit it could be a tiny bit of responsibility it could be a huge part of the responsibility where do you think that's that separation comes between retailers manufacturers media and that kind of thing as far as welcoming and bringing new people into uh, be as new cigar consumer?
2: Well I think it's a shared responsibility because ultimately it's in everybody's best interest. It's in the best interest of the manufacturer, it's in the best interest of the brand owner. it's in the best interest of the retailer. Sadly, too few do not really contribute in any way to that at all. Um, but ultimately, they tend to be the ones that suffer in the long run. So really, you're, they're kind of hurting themselves by not doing that kind of active engagement. And listen, I'm guilty of it, too. I mean, there's a whole class of young cigar smokers that I'm currently not reaching in any way whatsoever. They, they don't know anything about me. They don't know anything about my brands. I mean, there's a whole generation of, uh, you know, I call them kids because they're not over the age of 45. But reality, I mean, there's plenty of adults that, you know, the TikTok universe is their universe. Yeah. So chat is their universe. I mean, I dip my toes in the water in the Instagram universe, and I have kind of pulled back because I can't handle the number of requests and mentions that it generates. I, I literally have to – I mean, I'm going to have to hire someone dedicated that their sole purpose – is to just keep up with these basic tasks yeah in order to use it as a a vehicle to grow okay because the way i use it now it's very ineffective to be honest with you and ultimately that's how all of these consumers are going to be reached but i also i kind of go back to my little political rant at the beginning i have so many other bigger more important immediate problems That even though I need to do something about that, I got to take care of what's happening in real time right now first, before I even think about a grand social media position and how I'm going to put the company in a position to possibly engage with that 26-year-old who's not on Facebook, who's not watching Cigar Podcasts, who may never visit a brick-and-mortar store because they just like to order everything online by nature, or they live in a place that's essentially a cigar desert where they yeah. don't have good stores to even go to, which, honestly, that is more than probably 70% of the land mass of the United Absolutely. States. Our consumers are stuck in a place where th- their nearest store might be four or five hours. And that store might only carry really old legacy brands that are available through distributors because their tobacconist isn't really a tobacconist. He's really just a retailer and he's just basically ordering from a distributor's catalog. Well, none of my stuff is in any of those distributor catalogs. So that guy has no opportunity to be even exposed to it. So, I mean, it's an area that is going to require some real dedicated focus too. Yeah. Um, Right now, what I do is just kind of naturally an ad hoc and it's enough, but long term it isn't. I mean, I mean, it it just simply is not unless and here's the problem. You can say, hey, I don't want to grow beyond a certain point. But the problem is, if you're not growing, you're eventually shrinking. That is the problem, because you're always losing consumers. They're going to find another girl they'd rather date something else they'd rather smoke they decide that cigars just don't fit into their current lifestyle because of their current economic or work or family situations so you always have to have a way to continually feed the beast in order for any company to grow for the most part that's my opinion okay um there's other people that would have a different opinion and yeah that would be a terrible terrible idea so, yeah, you and me doing uh we'll do it together skip we'll, uh, we'll do it as lesbians we'll be gentle we'll, we'll do genders for it too right we'll we'll go we'll go we'll go full 2022 right so it'll, it'll be a lesbian Martin Sokka only fans <laughs> That's what it'll be.
1: Oh gosh, please let that
0: happen. <laughs> oh, that's 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 the only fans that the world needs. That that's the only fan that the world deserves.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh Lord. Yeah. Um, I
2: find uh, it so funny how the OnlyFans people so quickly backed off the no porn stands. Remember what was that like three months ago? They made the announcement that they were gonna clamp down on all the OnlyFans. I'm like, it's like the only purpose for OnlyFans is like for porn, right? For, for the most way. part. I mean, I'm sure there's some legitimate non-porn people that operate really good things on OnlyFans. I'm just not aware of them. You know? Yeah, I'm.
0: I'm <laughs> not aware of. I mean, I know what OnlyFans is. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen it for myself. But from from what I understand, it's mostly just, you know. Ladies taking off their, you know, taking off their tops, and the thing is, it not, it's
2: not—it's not the fact that they're taking off their tops. What it is is that because of social media, consumers have some sort of personal connection, or believe they have a personal connection with the person That's is. that believe. they're taking off their top. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because if it was just a question of hey, I want to see some pretty boobies. Well, that shit's been free for the last three decades, right? Nice. Yeah. So man, there's, no reason, there's no reason to pay for that, okay? So what you're really paying for is you're paying for the fact that you have some sort of connective relationship with that individual, and it gives you the ability to be even a greater voyeur into their lives. Yeah. And, that, and that's ultimately where <laughs> I think it becomes, I think that's the selling point of it. Right. I know. But again, what the fuck do I know? I am not a, uh, I am not running an OnlyFans. You know what I mean? This is just me speculating about why OnlyFans is a popular medium.
0: Right, right. I love it. Um, so I also want to ask you about the the cigar production in different countries, and I've asked a couple people about this because I find it interesting that we see the numbers growing and and the numbers for Nicaraguan cigar imports, production, all that are staggeringly high compared to some other cigar producing countries. So in your experience, is it strictly because of overall production numbers that are being made in Nicaragua or are there also, do you see any key business differences in like business model or or philosophy or anything like that from one country to another
2: well there's a couple of things first off of all the various cigar manufacturing countries nicaragua was probably the most economical in which to make cigars um the only one that's physically more economical at a factory level is cuba but that's because essentially it's government subsidized in the yeah. way that works um the other part that makes nicaragua very attractive is Many of the tobaccos that today's consumers are preferring—the stronger, more robust tobaccos—are grown in Nicaragua. So, therefore, by operating in Nicaragua, you have easier access to those tobaccos, and you have the access, you know, pretty much all year round. Um, you get to see things with your eyes uh, ahead of someone that is, you know, the buyer for a company a factory in the Dominican Republic. So, you have the added advantage of kind of being at ground zero. Where the most popular tobaccos are. Um, I think the other thing that helped tremendously is, uh, you know, there was kind of a shift in the media that started to prefer Nicaraguan cigars over Dominican cigars. That also helped to spur it along. And again, I think that's because of the fact that those tobaccos, again, were giving you much more flavorful, stronger, because even mild Nicaraguan cigars are more robust. Right. But I think. Probably the most important thing was the fact of how Nicaragua approached the cigar market. Um, My friends in the Dominican pretty much have rested on the laurels of being a Cuban alternative for many, many years. Everything they did Mm -hmm. about branding and packaging and the way they described their cigar was always like, hey, this is a Cuban alternative. This is, hey, we used to make cigars in Cuba. That evil Fidel Castro stole everything from us. We're now making the best cigars of the Dominican. If you like Cuban cigars, you really should be smoking our cigars because we're the ones that know how to really make them. So everything in their verbiage and their language was always kind of piggybacking off from that that built-in legacy of Cuban cigars being considered a luxury high-end brand. And one of the things that I think Nicaragua did um, pretty much right from the outset was it never built itself as like a Cuban. Mm. Uh, it was more like, no, we, we make Nicaraguan cigars. Our cigars are unique. They're different. This is why they're different. This is why they're unique. This is why we think you should smoke them. We believe they're better than Cuban cigars. They're not a facsimile of a Cuban cigar. We're not trying to make something that's a facsimile of a Cuban cigar we're making Nicaraguan cigars. So Nicaragua, whether it was intentional, it wasn't like there was some grand mastermind that thought in these terms, but pretty much from jump, for the most part, it has branded itself in its own country. And as those products have gained favor, you will see today a lot of consumers just outright say that Nicaraguan cigars are my favorite. And that includes in countries that were traditionally... Uh, Cuban, you know, mainstays. You know, places like the Netherlands, and Germany, and Italy, and Norway, and all of these places. And I'm not saying there aren't people that are still in love with Cuban cigars. And I'm not saying that the people that are and are just Cuban cigar smokers are missing it. Because look, Cuban cigars are unique. They have a certain flavor profile. They have a certain aroma. They have a certain taste to them. They have a certain draw. Look, Cuban cigars are—they draw slower. They draw tighter. They always have they've never drawn as open. And a lot of that has to do with the materials themselves. The materials are just physically thinner. You don't get the same style of air channels when you make a cigar just exclusively out of Cuban tobacco. So there is a consumer group that loves Cuban cigars because they just genuinely love Cuban cigars. Hmm. But I think when you get the one-to-one head-to-head comparison, I think there's actually more consumers today that prefer non-Habanos over Habanos. And I think another thing that has really changed this around has been the fact that for many, many years, the international markets never brought the best New World products into their marketplace because they never believed that their consumers would pay top dollar for a non-Habanos. So all of the non-Cuban cigars that these international customers were getting to smoke with the exception of a couple brands were pretty much our cheap bundle shit. Hmm that's what these distributors were buying and this is a trend that slowly started to reverse itself about 15 years ago and now you find you know really high quality new world cigars being offered internationally and i think that you can have one of those cigars and it can have a fair head-to-head comparison with a monte Cristo number no. two or a romeo and julia churchill or a cohiba siglo six but it isn't fair that in the past it was basically brick house versus a Cohiba Siglo Number Six, right? right. Well, yeah, this is the choice. The Siglo Six is far superior. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not a. It's not even a potentially fair comparison. So there have been a lot of things that have have led to Nicaragua's success. Another thing too is just the brand owners and the factory makers that have decided to go there and plant their flag. They are probably the, the more aggressive. They're not the ones that are resting on their laurels. They're the ones that are in the, you know, grinded out growth stage. So therefore they're just much more active. And when you're being so highly competitive, you also have to be that you also have to um be a bit more innovative about what you're offering. Yeah. You know what I mean, whereas when you have a legacy brand that sells really well, whatever it may be, Davidoff white label, You don't have to be innovative on David off weight label. You know what I mean? But the people of the people of Nika, they are. But the reality is you get good cigars from any good factory. And and there's very few factories that exclusively use Nicaraguan only tobacco. I I have very few cigars that are only Nicaraguan tobacco. Yeah. Naka Tamale, Todos Los Dias, I'm sure there's something else in the mix but off the top of my head I'm drawing a blank being put on a spot but there there isn't a lot you know what i mean and uh, so um and I, I think the dominicans are waking up to that
0: yeah well they're and not, i was
2: they're not I, they're they're not branding themselves the same way they used to brand themselves either
0: i think you're right about that and I, there is a shift i think in the last Maybe not long-term, but the last three years or so, I think I have seen some more uh, of a shift coming from them. But I was two years into premium cigars before I smoked my first Cuban cigar. I mean, for the first two years, it was almost exclusive. And this is back in the mid-'90s. It was almost exclusively Dominican cigars for me. me It was Davidoff's. It was Fuente's. It was La Aurora's. Uh, probably some of the stuff coming out of uh, some of the uh you know like yeah, of, of
2: tG and all of those places yeah
0: there. so the first two years was exclusively that then then I smoked my first Cubans and I said yeah they're okay um and and then I started to you know in the early 2000s dive into Nicaraguan cigars and um just personally as a cigar smoker um I I I'm not knocking any brands from any country I'm saying on a consistent basis, one-to-one cigar after cigar, after cigar, I have, I have better construction experiences with cigars that come from Nicaraguan factories than I do from any other country. I'm not saying cigars made at other countries are bad or that they're all constructed poorly. I'm saying, uh, on a percentage basis, the ones that have construction issues from Nicaraguan factories uh, are extremely rare, where they are slightly less rare from other countries, and in some other countries they are extremely common. Cuba being one of them. Cuba, uh, I've 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 had a number of construction issues over twenty years with with uh, one
2: of the things I think it kind of gets missed in the equation is. Cubans are intentionally making their cigars tighter. That that that's not a that's that is something that they actually kind of strive towards. Yes. In the techniques mm-hmm. that they employ. So I mean, so that's part and parcel of what is in Cuban cigars.
0: Well, I, always,
2: I, I, I always love it when I get a box of Habanos that are nice and open and airy, and mm-hmm. I find them to be much more pleasurable. But for yeah. a general rule of thumb, that is actually not what they're trying to construct. Right. You know, is, is, and is not, and look, in general, it used to be the same way. Daniel Nunez, who used to be the uh, – he was the GM of the factory that made Macanudo and eventually became president of the company. He would always talk about how he wanted Macanudos to be tighter. Yeah. He wanted them to be firmer. He wanted the draw to be a certain way. And my response to him was always, Daniel, these cigars are just a little too tight for what the current consumer is looking for. And, look, yeah. and that argument could be made even about my cigars. My cigars are densely packed. I mean, I, I make yes. a very dense, dense cigar. I try to do it in a way that it still allows for a, for a, a pleasing draw, but it doesn't deliver as open and an easy a draw as a cigar made at Padrone. Padron cigars are super airy and super easy.
0: Yeah. So. Well, I should I I should use a different term when I'm talking about Cuban cigars. Now I shouldn't use cons- the term construction. I think that maybe the best word is processing because it's not that they because I expect a tight draw when I get a Cuban cigar, uh, and I I don't have issues with with if it's got a tight draw I'm fine with that as long as it still draws and puts out smoke I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, and it's, it's of, not, it's not, give not it, or give it. a
2: cube and so much credit. They have managed to basically convince their customer base that no cigar they buy today is ready to smoke, that it needs to be laid up for a minimum of a year yes. or longer. And yes. That, and that that is normal. Okay. Yes. And I got to tell you, that's a stroke of freaking marketing genius on their part. <laughs> they have managed to get the consumer to absorb the cost of basically aging the material the aging themselves, yeah. you know, versus what they should have done themselves in the first place. Yeah. Let me,
1: let me ask you this. Would <clears throat> Would you like to be able to blend Cuban tobacco in, in a blend? Would you like to have that tobacco available for the U.S. market?
2: Um, for me, look, since most Cuban tobaccos are lighter, I think a lot of them would get lost in the style of blends that I make. I would be much more interested in blending a Cuban Puro. I'd like to, I'd like to try my hand at that where I get to actually, I would like to get the same materials that they're designating as this year's crops that everyone's allowed to work with. I, I'd like to be in that. I'd like to have that. I'd like to have that opportunity to see if yeah. I could do something, you know, different and unique on a, on a level playing field. I think that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not I'm not if good Cuban material became available and I thought I could make a blend out of it and I thought I could make it consistently, yes. Would I entertain doing it? I would, but I don't know that it necessarily I I, I don't like I said, from a personal point of view, I'd rather try to blend a Cuban puro. That's that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to see. Yeah. I make something as good as a Ramon Ione, something as good as a Pargas eight nine eight could i mm. could i make something of that caliber if i had right. the starting materials
0: yeah yeah for me it's it's the it's the um uh, what what i gauge is the f- fermentation techniques the fermentation time the the processing before the tobacco is baled.
2: Yeah. I've often said this factories are just where good cigars go to be fucked up. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, uh, you know, it's, it, all the work is in the materials. Yeah. Getting, getting pre industry is really the most critical part of the cigar making operation, in my opinion. The factory is more about, look, having a good blender is very helpful that you have someone that can put together stuff that is going to appeal to a certain palate group. But really, factories are about standards, practices, methodologies. It's really, it's a pretty, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, and it's complex. But in the end, it's really pretty simple. I mean, you can you can make great cigars in, in your kitchen. And as long as you have a table, uh, you know, a chaveta. and heck, I don't even use a chaveta. I use my pocket knife is <laughs> what I end up using for most of the stuff that I do. But, you know, I'm not really making cigars day in, day out. So it's entirely different. But for me, the factory factory is really just about them not fucking up the perfectly good tobacco that you gave them to work with. That's what the factory is about.
0: Yeah. So is it? Oh, I think it is. Is it time? I think so. All right. It is time for this week's Numero de los los muertos. Muertos. And, guys, you know that Numero de los Muertos is brought to us by our friends at Smoke Inn. De los Muertos episode one thirty two. Garrett, what do you have for us this week? All right, it is a very small number
1: this week, but it is a ten year average over the last ten years, well, two thousand eight to two thousand eighteen, an average of six people a year died from this in the U.S. Wow, that is a small number. It is, and I'm gonna right off the bat, I'm gonna I'm gonna give just a little hint. It is about communication, or communication is involved. I should
0: say communication is involved. All right.
1: Um, we already have some glorious guests, guests, guesses. <laughs> uh, anal. I'm um.
0: I'm gonna go with no. I'm gonna go with no on that one. Woodpeckers would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I actually
1: did falling from radio towers. That's about 100 people a year globally fall off of those towers. So
0: from 2008 to 2018, an average of six people a year in the U.S. died from this.
1: So the answer is yes, electrocution. However, I'm looking for something specific.
0: Ooh, I like
1: it. Steve, what do you think? Toaster and a bathtub kind of electrocution? Is that the kind of stuff we're talking about here? Well, it is electrocution, but it is not a toaster in a bathtub. Hair dryer? Nope. I think <laughs> cell phone battery blowing up. No, nope. that would be unfortunate. <laughs> wow. How the hell are you supposed to guess how six people die? I got six people that die every Tuesday around the corners.
2: What are we talking right.
3: about here?
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, actually, Lawrence has another piece of the puzzle. Mm.
2: Lightning. Lightning while taking a bath. Lightning while being in a hot tub. Uh,
1: Mitchell is correct. It is people talking on the phone, a landline, during a lightning strike, and it
0: zaps their head. Well, okay. So, great guess, Mitchell. Um, that It's got to be so low because over the years, landlines are becoming less Less and and less less. common.
2: Yeah. So Right. And on top of that, even if you have a landline, you have a cordless phone. So you're not even like attached to the phone anymore. Right. Right. So you're actually talking about this is pretty much like really old people right? That have the same phone hanging on the wall from 1968, right? That's what we're talking about
0: here. With the, the phone in the kitchen with the 50-foot cord that can go to every room in the house. Sure. Right.
2: We, we all remember I mean, that was oh, yeah. that's the norm when I was a kid, right? Yeah. If I was say, bring me the phone, and you'd be stretching that blue cable
1: everywhere. Yeah. Judy, your boyfriend's on
3: the phone,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. oh man well and i you know and it makes me think and i know we've got a couple firefighters uh in in the room um i mean i know that you used to see that a lot more probably uh in the past but not as much lately how much current can those wires handle because i was shocked to even see that was still a thing
0: yeah because it's all low voltage but I mean, it's still it's still copper. If it gets enough current, it's gonna go. It's got to go through the copper. That's pretty much the way it works.
1: But where are we to go? Yeah, I, I
2: um, love that wisdom that Skip Martin added. They were destined to die one way <laughs> or the other. Are we not all destined to die one way or the other? I, I think that's one of those universal truths. We're all dying. Yeah, in From the moment that we were born, we're all dying.
0: Coop, get Coop, rid of them. Coop, you still have those phones, and it reaches into the parlor. I'm sure. Yes, with the with the beautiful plastic covered furniture uh, yep. and the beautiful new paint job.
1: Yeah. Do you still call Mabel, Coop?
0: <laughs> you still ring up. Could you get me Klondike seven six zero four, please? <laughs> I'm trying to reach Klondike seven six zero four. Oh man, we had party line. Did you guys have party? We line? had a party line when I was a kid. Yeah.
2: Oh man, that was fun. But you didn't have to dial 1900 to get on. We just what are we talking about here? No, no. The, so
0: the small town small town party line that we had uh there were 7 houses that were on our party line and each house had a
1: unique ring. Uh-huh. And we would we would uh know which houses like how long they would take to answer the phone. Yeah. And we would try and answer it right when they did so they didn't know we were on. And uh we got busted every once in a while but I mean, that was uh, that was fun times.
2: Well, just to tell you how backwards things are, I still have a landline because our alarm company needs the landline in order to link the system in, and they now, of course, have an entirely wireless one. But that means I have to completely replace the whole system, and yeah, uh, like I'm going to spend six thousand, seven thousand dollars to get rid of the one that's dependent upon the landline. No, we just <laughs> so we have a landline, which doesn't make sense to me because isn't that the first thing you do is go outside and cut the landline? Probably yeah, don't even do that anymore, but I guess if the landline is cut, it automatically sounds the alarm. That's what they tell me. That It instantly counts as a, a yeah. fire alert if, if the landline is ever cut.
0: Yeah. Fun. So that was this week's Numero, Numero de los Muertos. De los Muertos. All right, so Steve, last time you were on the show, and actually we we looked this, we looked through our old shows. This is the first time you've been on in a long time. This it was it was over two years ago. You were on in September of 2019 on episode 25, and now we're on episode 132. So these we have these. What you're uh, telling me is that from 25
2: to 132, that there was literally 107 other people. That were more interesting than I. <laughs> what did you keep telling me. I, I don't. I, yeah. I don't know how to take that, man. As far well, as I'm, concerned, you're just like a big
1: fu. I mean, well, it's you certainly know. not a lack of trying on our part. You
0: did have. You did have two trade show appearances in there. Yeah.
1: So well, of everybody else,
0: right?
2: <laughs> I mean, on, those don't count.
0: Oh, I, this is. I gotta give me washcloth. I got some egg. I gotta wash off my face. <laughs> Uh, All right. So, uh, Steve, if you could hear the thoughts of one living person for 10 minutes, who would it be and why? Oh, man, you guys are getting me in trouble
2: with this one. Yes, you really really are. I I, I really I really honestly want to know what Joe Biden's thinking. That's that's not getting (laughs) you in trouble. I I really I really I really honestly want to understand. Yes. What he's not the in. only one would like to. I'd like to understand. I'd like to understand. I'm starting to doubt whether he's cognizant or not. Yes, you know, and I, I hate to be that way, but and it's and look, I have no problem with someone that has a politically different point of view than mine, and someone that this is the reason. And this is why I think we should do this. And this is why I think it's the best idea that that that's a discussion. That's a fair discussion. But I, I I really am starting to wonder if he's all there. I really, truly am. And so for me right now, I I, I would like to spend 10, 10 minutes in Joe Biden's head. That's where I'd like to be. Cause I'd like I'd like to understand, like, look, I know where Nancy Pelosi is, I've talked to her on multiple occasions. You can have an opinion about Nancy Pelosi, but that woman is not an idiot, okay? She she has her viewpoint. She has her goals. She has her point of view. She has her strategy. She's sharp. Same thing with Mitch O'Connell. Total opposite side of the spectrum, yep. right? I genuinely do not know, is Joe actually functioning Right. Is Joe actually grasping what is going on and what's in front of him and what's really happening? And yeah. so for me, that would be the 10 minutes I'd want to spend because I would feel much more comfortable. At least knowing. Knowing, right. Because look, look, regardless, this is an area that I think, other than the far extremes, I don't think anybody wants to have an unsuccessful president. 100%. No, nobody wants these things to go wrong you know what i mean it's not good for anybody so uh i think it's really important um but so that that would be the 10 minutes of whose head i'd like to occupy yeah um I, i'm really i'm really genuinely curious yeah but that's, All right. the, that's the easy answer what about a more
0: difficult one? Oh, mm-hmm. i think that is the difficult one because it's it's because of the how important the outcome of the answer is in his case. You know, because if he's, if he's, if he's cognit if he is truly cognitively declined, then that's a problem. And if he's not not good for anybody,
2: it's not good for anybody, period. Right. It's not good good for the country. It's not good for the Democrats. It's not good for anything. And, I don't know why he seems very disconnected. Yeah, I mean, and 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 and, that, and I find that part to be love or hate him. We all knew what Trump was thinking all the time, regardless <laughs> of how stupid what That's he was saying in the moment. Yeah, there was no, there was no doubt that y- you knew yeah. where the guy stood on right. issues, you know. And then look, Definitely. there's other people that look you'd like to occupy some space in their head to. You know, there's some people that I'd like to really, like, I'd really love to,
3: like,
2: I'd like to have some real conversations with somebody on things like critical race theory from a perspective that I'm just simply not grasping, Mm -hmm. right? Because to me, at face value, I don't understand how this helps promote racial equity and how it's good for society, but the people that are huge proponents of it obviously feel as though it is. So mm-hmm. I'd like to have some sort of understanding as to why they that feel that way. And I think sometimes it just kind of gets lost in the emotional buzzwords of the arguments.
0: Yeah, for sure. That you're not
2: really getting to the core of, you know, what's the reason that you feel this way and why you feel as though this is going to be a positive step forward. And that's true about pretty much all controversial issues, right? And sadly, they've all become political at this point because everything regretfully has become political, whether we want it to be or not be. Um, I am starting to notice, though, it does seem like it's dialing back a little, doesn't it? It does seem as though uh, it doesn't. I'm hoping it is, or maybe it's just because I'm watching less news. And I'm reading less social media, so therefore I'm just not being as bombarded with it all the time. Um, I don't know. I just. Uh...
0: I I hope you're right, but I I've seen differently. I've seen that I, I I fear that it's it's actually just on a on a slow incline, and it's and it's ramping. Uh, and I agree with you 100. percent We have to be able to have difficult conversations about controversial topics in an open and honest manner, regardless of w- what side you fall on. And you have to, I mean, you have I mean, to I mean
1: really
2: weird that you have a group of people that are like huge Anthony Fauci fans, but now they're upset because there's dogs involved, but they're not <laughs> upset at all about the fact that we've been financing as a nation research and all of these labs across the globe, that maybe don't have the same safety standards as we do in the united states right so that that to me is the important conversation to have with him but now he's being torched because of puppies right <laughs> i find that a really weird thing that a group of people are more upset about the puppies than they are about you know literally millions of deaths worldwide yeah we may have had some part in in the financing of it's yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting for what people prioritize. It, it feels much different. And, and the thing about it is. We're so blessed to live in a country that I guess we can have these debates and these are the important discussions that we ultimately end up having because we're not worried about groceries the way everybody else is. We're not worried about basic standard of living issues that the vast majority of the globe is, um, you
1: know. Well, we've forgotten how to appropriately dialogue. I think so many Americans are um, they they've decided what hill that they're gonna die on, and that's their hill. And we have lost the ability to have civil discord where we can um, you know, honestly and openly talk about issues because at the end of the day, we will agree on far more things than we'll disagree. But it's those little things that, um, that really get the buzz that end up separating us. And um, I don't care what the issue is. All of these issues affect everybody. And we can't seem to have good honest discourse without bringing in our bias, as Lawrence said, our, our bias. Bias. We, all,
2: we all bring in our bias. The point is though, we used to still have those, and look, I think in private groups as individuals, separate of the social media sphere, i think people are still having those kind of discussions yes that's right i think that most people are there there's a big group of middle and very little Look, they're there yes you got your antifa you know you know marxist on this end and yeah you got your Ku klux klan and oh my god we're going to succeed from the union on this end i mean you have those groups but literally that is not where the vast majority of Americans are right. in any way whatsoever. And what used to happen was you would have people that would have different perspectives, Tip O'Neill, Senator Ted Kennedy, you know, on and on and on. But yet we were able to come to some sort of resolution, some sort of agreement, some sort of compromise where things seemed to move forward And it just seems that in the last, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the last time the country was unified on anything was 9-11. And you know, and and that didn't last long. And now it's like we're almost accomplishing nothing at this point. All we're doing is just spitting on everyone and telling everybody else how stupid they are and how they hate and how they are to be hated. It's just it's just completely counterproductive. It isn't good for anybody yeah and, and, and that's the part Look, and, and look obviously look uh, for good or bad i mean i know when trump said the media was the enemy of the people he was talking about specific networks i right. would make the argument that the media is the enemy of the people because i just don't think they do a good job of informing people about anything anymore it, it just seems like we're just in this 24 7 series of hot takes. Yep. Right. Yeah. for entertaining media, makes good for clicks, makes great for ratings. Mm-hmm. But you, you can't govern a country by hot takes, right? You can't do what's in the best interest of, of, of your citizenship based on hot takes. And, and at this point, I, I wonder when will be the time that America will eventually get a leader that will be able to actually just tell the truth and tell everybody the way things are and explain to people, this is the circumstances, this is the situation. These are the decisions that have to be made. There's pros and there's cons on both sides and, and try to find something. But I I don't know that we've actually had a real leader for a long time. And I also don't think that the way our political system is set up today, it doesn't reward those people because they can't get out of the primaries. I mean, let's be honest. Joe would not have survived the primary had it not been for COVID. Right. Had Joe had to do the head-to-head and all of that stuff that you would have normally in a normal year. I don't think he would have been the Democratic nominee. I don't know who it would have been. I, I agree. I don't think it would have been him. I think it would have been somebody else. And uh, and I also think that the Republicans' inability to know how to deal with the tornado that was Trump in the moment of the primaries um, he was just playing from such a different playbook that nobody even knew how to deal with him. And yeah. look, I live in New Hampshire, and so we have the benefit of seeing all of these presidential candidates in person without paying 500 to $2,000 a plate. We get to see them mm-hmm. for free, right? And I have a group of friends, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a diverse group. Um, some libertarians, some liberals, some ultra conservatives, but we're all friends, and we collectively go to these things kind of as a sport. Like, I've been to a lot of Bernie Sanders rallies. Hmm. I've been, you know, I I saw John Kasich speak twice. I saw Jeb Bush. You know, I I, I saw Kamala Harris. I, I I saw these people in person, and then we would all go as a group, and then after we would go to somebody's house for dinner, or we would go to a restaurant. And then we would talk about it. Now, I can tell you hands down, the most fun were Bernie Sanders and Trump. Those were the best political events. Those were the ones that, you know, it was hard to not, you could feel the electricity in the audience. Somebody like John Kasich, he would answer questions very honestly and it would make a lot of sense, but it was polarizing to his audience because they didn't like the answers they were being given. So there's no way for somebody like him to ever get out. And at this point for, from most conservatives point of view, John Kasich at this point is now basically persona non grata. He might as well be a Democrat, right? Which just really isn't true. I mean, because, I mean, think about it. JFK by today's standards, JFK would probably be the most conservative candidate on the ticket. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, so I don't know. It's just, it all seems to have gotten lost. Yeah, and and nothing about media, nothing about social media, is actually going to solve the problem in any way whatsoever. And I don't, and I, and and that's just that's just not good for us as a people. Yeah, and uh, but I think that people don't give a flip about what my political viewpoint is. I mean, they they care about. I don't want them. I don't want them thinking about how I feel about critical race theory when they're smoking one of my cigars. I want them to spark up a cigar. I want them to let their day go away. I want them yeah. to relax. I want, it, I want it to be. So there's a lot of debates that I would love to engage in, um, but I, I ultimately choose not to.
3: And Absolutely.
2: I also feel as though when you're on a keyboard in words, it's not the same conversation as when you're having it verbally or face-to-face yeah. with someone. I think people can tell a lot by your tone and how you discuss things and how you react to things much more so than when you just write a paragraph on social media because yeah. there's nothing that can't be debated or hated upon regardless and, of
0: what you're and nuance is completely lost through the through the keyboard through especially through like you said, a paragraph on on Facebook or Instagram uh, or Twitter uh, nuance is completely lost in in uh, in a discussion
2: but you're not rewarded for nuance you're rewarded for hot takes
0: yeah 100 yes
2: right and you're also punished for hot takes too right yeah Yeah. i mean honestly what i would love is i would love for someone to write something stupid say something (laughs) totally fucked up and just simply say yeah that was really fucked up i shouldn't have said that that was dumb you know what i mean rather than capitulate rather than oh let me go on an apology tour rather than caving to the Twitter mob. You know what I mean? Or, or Hey, if you really feel that adamant about that point of view that you posted, well then explain that point of view and live with it. Right. If this is a hill you want to die on, then okay, fight on the hill and explain why you have that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, but it's, 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 I, I think it's actually something that I know that, I can imagine this is true in all businesses, but I know in our business, it does scare some people out of interacting as much as they could or wish they could because they always feel like they have to walk on eggshells, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, um, and it's just kind of the
0: way it works. Yeah.
1: Well, that was question one of the lightning round.
0: (laughs) Well, let's, let's go to the next question. This one, this one is much simpler. So, Steve, if you were about to get into a fight, what would your soundtrack music be? <sighs> Got to be "Eye of the Tiger," right? That's a probably very number one, very answer. popular answer. Yeah, I mean, I mean and a it's, great that, answer at that. That is the
2: one that just instantly goes through your head. I mean, that's that, that's 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 what you're hoping. When reality, yeah. it should probably be Muzak from an elevator, seeing how I'm probably <laughs> going to survive it. My. My 340-pound, 56-year-old body in a fight today, it ain't, go, it ain't going well. My only hope is that the other person's in a wheelchair, right?
3: <laughs>
2: you know, so let, 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 let's let's be real about it. My, my fighting days are long behind me. <laughs> yeah,
0: All right. Um, choose one of the following. You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman. You could score a goal in a hockey game as the goalie or score a goal in a soccer game as the goalie.
2: Well, first off from the beginning of the show, everybody can tell that I have an affinity for the NFL. So obviously for me, that's the sport of choice. And then when you add the concept that a, a 350 pounder is going to actually score a touchdown. Yes. How can you not love the fat guy scoring a touchdown, yes. right? That's love the it. Uh, hell yes. That's, that's that's the thing that you are like, whoa, you know. I mean, look I, at that big boy go. Yeah, big boy go. You you, you just got to love it, you know. Yep. Yeah. I remember the Bears whenever they would give uh refrigerator Perry yes. the ball and he would <laughs> punch it in that last yard, you know. I'd be there with my big plate of nachos going, yes, you fat fuck. Yeah, do it for the people. You know what I mean? I, I just kind of like so yeah. Yeah. Anything that involves a fat guy scoring.
0: <laughs> and I could I could always I can hear going back to you know the 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 70s and 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 early 80s I can hear Keith Jackson's voice oh there he goes rumbling bumbling stumbling. I can totally still hear that anytime I see a big guy pick up a fumble or or snag a snag a ball out of the air I can hear Keith Jackson's voice in my head
2: I mean just watching him lumber I don't know why I can't think of his name and I feel bad that I can't but who was that really famous linebacker from the Steelers who ended up returning? He's a big, big guy, super big, super weight junky guy. He played for the Patriots for a, a one year at the end of his career.
0: Uh, who was that? Vince Wilfork?
2: No, 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 not Vince Wilfork. He got traded to the Texans. This is, God, why can't I think of his name? Somebody in the audience has to know who I'm talking about. What super era are we talking?
0: Um, about? Harrison. Harrison. Oh, yeah. Remember, I, I remember him yeah, running down. He, he picked off. Uh, he picked off Kurt Warner. In the the Super Bowl wasn't it the 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 Cardinals Steelers Super Bowl? Didn't he pick off Kurt Warner and run it back for a touchdown like ninety eight yards or something? Yeah, it was
2: James Harrison. If James I Harrison yeah, but there, yeah. there's been a there's been a few of them over the years, and it's always it's all, it's always cool to see the big man you know make because yeah. I, I mean look James Harrison is nothing but pure muscle, but that guy can't weigh an ounce less than three fifty for God's sake. I mean, oh yeah. Like, it's
0: like a Mac truck, for God's sake. <laughs> All right. Let's move into this week's uh, Notable Smokable. And Notable Smokables are always brought to us by our friends at Ace Prime. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. Uh, so, Steve, you may remember from last time you were on the show, each week we name a cigar that was notable to us that we smoked. Recently. You mean 107
2: be, episodes ago, two years ago, yeah, you, expect two, re- two, you expect me two, to remember two, this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, let's go. So a- any cigar you've smoked recently that was notable to you, it could be a cigar that's been on the market for decades that you just revisited for the first time in a while, or it could be something you've tried for the first time. Now, obviously we know that you uh, 99% of what you smoke is is uh, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust stuff, but is there something outside of your portfolio you smoked recently that caught your interest? New or old?
2: No, not really. Okay. What about
0: something from in your own portfolio? I'll tell you what
2: it is. I think just as I get older, I get more jaded. Mm. Um, I just, I don't know. I feel like I've tasted everything, been there before, done it before. It's, it's very rare that I have one of those, oh, my God, kind of moments. I, I miss them, okay, because I used to have them, you know, three decades ago and even two decades ago. And, um, you know, I'm just I'm just much more tempered about everything, including my own stuff. It's just, um, I don't know. It's just I've, I've become kind of old and fuddy-duddy-ish in the fact that, uh, like, and I tell people this all the time. If I never had another craft beer, I'm fine. If I never have another small batch beer, bourbon, I'm fine. You know, I, I've managed to figure out what are my favorites, what are the ones that I enjoy, what do I like, and I, I, I tend to just kind of stick with them. Um, I think, I think on the notable side, the sad part is I have had some cigars recently that have been quite notable, but for the wrong reasons.
3: Mm. You know,
2: mm-hmm. where I'm like what the hell is going on here you know this used to be a great blend and now it's just such a pale shadow of what it used to be or from a factory that has typically had very consistent well constructed cigars but they now seem to i mean something that i have noticed recently i don't know if other consumers have i've started noticing ammonia again in cigars
1: Mm -hmm. i haven't
2: noticed i have not noticed ammonia in cigars since we got through the boom years and the dreck of the boom kind of filtered its way through the system. But I have literally in the last three four months, I, I've noticed some like real brands coming off the shelf that are new that the tobacco is just simply not ready to go.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's not that these people don't know it. It's just, obviously they're just so far in back orders and this is what they have to work with and they have to do what they got to do. But, that kind of surprises me that I've started to see ammonia once again appear in cigars. I I haven't seen that for a long, long time. And there's yeah. always been some shitty company, shitty brands kind of stuff. But I'm talking about like real legit cigar factories with legit tobacco people that they know. Yeah. And they're just saying, hey, we, we have to we have to work with what we got because we have all of these orders and all these people screaming at us. So I find that to be notable. But I don't obviously I can't. I can't say which brands because that would be inappropriate for me to do
0: so. I would never. never No, we get Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Garrett, what was the notable one for you this week?
1: I had a, I had an Oliva Siri V Milano and I hadn't had that cigar and probably it's gotta be a year or better. And that's, you know, there's, that's a damn good cigar. Yeah. Um, Good blend. It is a really good blend. And, um, It just, it treated me well. It, uh, it destroyed
0: my face in a wonderful way (laughs)
1: and I, yeah,
0: loved it. See, and I don't, I've, I've talked to a number of people who, um, say that they can't, and, and this is just my palate, but a number of people I've talked to said that they, the, they have to sort of prepare themselves for an Oliva V because it's for them, it's a very strong cigar. For me, mm-hmm. it's not strong at all. For me, it's a medium. Cigar. Yeah, but man,
2: again, you got to understand that most cigar smokers are smoking two cigars a week. Right. Think about it. If they've been smoking for three years, two cigars a week, their entire ex- experience with cigars is 300 cigars. Yeah. I smoke over 300 cigars in a month. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So, I mean, think of how many more cigars you smoke. So, and that's one of the reasons why you know a lot of people you know I look at Padron and I consider it a medium-bodied blend, but many consumers regard Padron as a very heavy, strong cigar. Yeah. Many people consider Oliva V's as a very strong, heavy cigar. You know, something like a La Florida Minicana Chisel or a Romacraft Neanderthal would just totally wreck them.
3: You know, right. They,
2: yes. They, they, they can't even they could not even wrap their brain around. What they're gonna get out of a cigar like that, it would just simply kill them on the spot.
3: And I, and I, think, and I
2: think that's something that sometimes we miss. We 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 sometimes miss the perspective of the typical average consumer.
0: Yeah. And, and that's they, why how they view things. When I give when I give recommendations to consumers, I always give the caveat. And the sort of qualification that they have to take it with a grain of salt that that these are my preferences and and I smoke an I I smoke a Neanderthal and I say that's that's a good kind of medium plus cigar I smoke a uh, I smoke a Tricky Traca I'm smoking one right now and I say mm-hmm. that's a good you know medium plus cigar uh, where a lot of smokers would smoke those blends and and say I need a nap. But- yeah, for most consumers, Tricky chalk is an incredibly strong cigar. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. But for uh, the
2: hardcore amongst us, no. They would consider yeah. it medium full. Yeah. They'd put it on a 10-point scale. They'd probably put it somewhere like around a seven, a seven and a half. Yeah. But for the guy that's living on a diet of Romeo and Monte Cristo and H. Upman and whatever the newest A.J. Fernandez is and whatnot... You know, yeah, that's a that's a super ball buster kind of cigar for them. So it, it's, it's always relative to your own experiences. Uh, you know, it's like we all know it. Uh, look, I like hot sauce, but I don't tend to like hot sauce that blows my head off. I tend to be more on the lower end of the, I want the flavor. I want the spiciness. I want to feel some heat. But when we start getting much above, you know, when we start talking ghost peppers and carolina reaper and all of that kind of stuff i want no part of it it's just it's not for me you know yeah i'm this, really, I'm this really happy with a good hot sauce that's made with like a smoked uh, jalapeno like a chipotle mm-hmm. pepper yeah that's yeah, kind of yeah. that's kind of where my lane is when it comes to hot sauce
0: how about you matt what was your notable uh my notable actually so i was rearranging a couple shelves in my humidor and i found these these alec bradley black market tubos that i don't think this was a regular release i think they were it was a special release maybe five years ago or six years ago it's sort of a a long toro it's not quite a churchill it's not quite a toro Huh. and i found a couple of these and i was like wow. i forgot i even had them so i i lit one up and i have to be honest when they when that specifically that tubo sort of super toro came out it was it it just popped on so many different levels of that blend but i let them sit because obviously i forgot i had them i let them sit too long because they that that's an example to me of i you got to smoke the cigars when they're good and i just i think that cigar sat too long it was it was very it was still a very good cigar, and it burned great and great smoke output. You're and good it's notable
2: in its dullness compared to what you remember it
0: being. Yeah, and that's not on Alec Bradley. That's on me. I just let it sit too long. It was yep. it lost all of its so, pop, and it's I have thousands and it's,
2: of the Liga Pravadas that fit into that category. They're yeah. great cigars that are impeccable tobacco and impeccable construction, but they they lack the they lack the the punch that I remember when they were younger. You know, not that there's anything wrong with them. They're just they don't they don't give me the same experience that I used to. Yeah.
0: Get. Yeah. So I have uh, I have one more of those. And, uh, you know, I got to smoke it before it t- basically turns to nice. flavorless. Um, so that was uh, that was this week's Notable <laughs> Smokables brought to you by Ace Prime, improving lives through fine cigars. Visit AcePrime.com to learn more. So giving our viewers and listeners a little idea of some cool stuff we have coming up in the next couple of weeks. First of all, starting with next Monday night, Garrett, tell them what we have.
1: You guys uh, something really exciting that we are going to be doing starting next Monday. And it's going to be, we haven't decided the, the frequency of the series yet, but it's going to be a beginner series. We are taking a coworker and friend of mine, uh, Tyler, to a local tobacconist here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and walking him through the humidor and talking about all the, you know, what to look for in a in a tobacconist and uh, getting into this hobby. From he's never had a premium cigar, and he is all about it. He's excited, cannot wait to uh, to do this. And we're gonna have some follow up shows. You yeah, know. granted, hopefully. It is uh, an experience he will enjoy and start to get into, and then we can kind of follow that uh, uh, that story as it develops.
0: And we're it's an experiment. We have no idea how it's going to go. We're hoping that this doesn't go like and and if you're old enough to remember when when Geraldo Rivera opened up Al Capone's (laughs) vaults and it turned out to be a total red herring. We're hoping that we don't get you know halfway through the cigar Mm. and Tyler's like, "Yeah, this is terrible. I don't like this." I don't want to do this anymore, but we're going to go with it. Whatever happens, happens. And if he, if it turns out that he enjoys it, then we'll check in on a semi-regular basis and, and see how he's, you know, learning his way through the humidor and, and yep. learning his way through, you know, his next couple blends and we'll see where it goes. We're excited for it. It I'm could, it could be, could be anything. So we're excited for it. Um, and then, uh, following up on the 8th I believe it is the 8th of I put the wrong date on the page yeah. but I believe it's the 8th of November It is. Uh, we have Mickey Pegg from All Saints Cigars on the show uh, so Steve give our viewers and listeners a final reminder where is the best place for them to get all the latest up to date info on Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust I guess if you follow
2: my, my Facebook feed right I mean, I tend to post everything there, uh, un- until my friends at Facebook banned me. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's that's really the best place because um, I tend to I tend to share things that are new um, there and what's upcoming, and I often share too much of my trials and tribulations sometimes, but uh, that that that's always the very best place I think to. I mean, let me say this. My staff learn something by reading what I write on Facebook, because I often post stuff on Facebook before I actually even tell them, you know, like, for example, I'm going to tell the audience, uh, expect me back on this show for episode, if my math is correct, 239. I think that'll be my next appearance on uh, on HBTC, right? So I'd like to promo that right now. Put that in your... Uh, Put that in your calendar, episode two thirty nine. That's my episode. That's one hundred seven episodes away. So. I think
0: I think we'll definitely do it sooner st- 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 than that. Yeah, but two thirty nine is penciled in. I'm well, going to hold you to that. But you're but actually it'll open also on, be somewhere in between there.
1: You're open on Wednesday. I heard. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, am I open? No,
2: I'm open tomorrow. I have I have a podcast on Wednesday. Oh, Isn't it's tomorrow. Right?
3: Okay. Yeah.
2: And then I have, uh, and then I have a, uh, and then I have another one on Thursday. The one on Thursday, though, is going to be an interesting one. Well, Look, the one tomorrow will be interesting too. But where, where are you at Thursday tomorrow? Is uh, tomorrow? I am uh, doing an Instagram thing with uh, uh, with uh, Melanie Cisco. Uh, she's been asking me for months and months, and finally we were able to pick a date where um, it worked out. And then on Thursday. Um, I'm having a, a big discussion with the guys from Cornell and Deal to talk about the uh, imminent launch of Stillwell Star, and it'll it'll be kind of a primer episode um, where I'll really talk in depth about the blends and the smoking experiences that I think consumers should expect out of it, and kind of talk about the makeup. and Luckily, Jeremy will be there, um, who's the uh, master blender of the pipe tobaccos and i think shane um ireland is going to kind of serve as the uh host or the referee i don't know which term is appropriate depending (laughs) on how it goes Uh, (laughs) but i think the thursday podcast will be really i think it'll be an interesting one for anyone that's interested in stillwell star if you're not interested in stillwell star then don't watch it we nice. really watch it at well
0: all. we were we were grateful to briefly meet Jeremy at PCA yeah. a very cool guy and uh exciting story about uh stillwell, stillwell star uh Garrett and I each tried one of the uh one of the four blends uh after PCA and uh I think it's a very cool project I uh, I have a feeling there's there's a lot of consumers that are going to dig it so yep Yeah, it's good stuff. I think a lot
2: of consumers are going to try it, whether they ultimately dig it or not. I think the thing that I'm really interested in is
0: because we didn't have
2: enough of them at the trade show, everybody was kind of like you. Um, You know, you got, which one did you end up getting that?
0: Uh, So I smoked the Navy and Garrett smoked the English. English. Right.
2: So I think it'll be really interesting when people have the opportunity to smoke all four and then Mm kind of see what they're thinking. Oddly enough, the one that right now is personally my favorite is the Bayou. But also the Bayou is the one that I think it's the most difficult to detect the pipe tobaccos in because it's based around a vapor blend, a Virginia Perique blend. And For pipe smokers out there, they all know that's kind of like a very common blend. That's kind of considered that easygoing, all day long style of blend. Uh, but it does provide a really unique, the, the Virginia's in it provide a really nice kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It's, it's kind of a combination of zesty and citrus kind of notes Mm. that you get out of the Virginia's and then out of the stove, red Virginia, it adds kind of like a creamy element to it. And then Perique is a very peculiar tobacco Perique. The only way I can really describe it is it's almost kind of an umami kind of sensation that you get out of Perique tobaccos. And the higher the grade, the more umami it becomes. Mm. So really how it plays in any given blend is really dramatically impacted. I mean, there's sometimes that it has almost like a mushroom kind of sense to it. And there's other times where it has more of a beef sensation. And then there's other times that it has that kind of like the packet coming out of the ramen noodles with the MSG. It's <laughs> a, it's, it's a, it's a really odd, peculiar tobacco. Um, so that's the one that I have lately personally been gravitating towards the most. Um, but I also think it's the one that's the hardest to nail down. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's the one that I, that keeps leaving me going, okay, what am I getting? What am I not getting? Can I really sense it? You know what I yeah. mean? So that may be the reason why I keep revisiting that one more frequently than the others.
0: Well, but and I can say from there, I can say for the Navy blend that I smoked, the subtlety was what I, uh, It's it sounds weird to say it this way, but the subtlety is what I noticed the most, is the fact that it it smoked like a cigar. And we mentioned before we went live that it's a cigar that I had to really pay attention to the pre-light and to toasting it for a, a long time. It smoked like a cigar, but right. there were extremely subtle
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, pipe notes throughout, and that navy notes of that sort of.
1: Um, I mean,
2: most navy blends are built around a Cavendish black yeah. tobacco that has, in some way, been um, added some sort of dark rum to them. That is kind yeah. of the cornerstone of most navy pipe blends. Um, In this particular case, the rum never actually comes in contact with the tobacco. It's put in the cavendishing tray, so it kind of filters up as steam as you're cavendishing the tobacco. Um, So it's, again, I think, and that's going to be the other question, was I a little too subtle? Should I have been a little bit more, you know, knocked you over the head with it? But the intent was for it to be a cigar with an essence of those pipe tobaccos not to be a replacement for smoking a pipe. Yeah. I want I want it to be for the cigar smoker that they can tell that there's something unique and different going on. Right. And I want it to be enough that for the typical pipe smoker who regularly smokes pipe to be able to go, oh yeah, I see how this is a navy blend. Yeah, I, I see how this is an English. I, I get those sensations that I get. I get those aromas. I get those tasting notes. But in the end it, it's cigar first. That yeah. is what they all are. <clears throat> Yeah. And and I think one of the biggest questions is going to be on the aromatic, because the aromatic pipe tobaccos I like to smoke are the lightly cased ones, the ones that are more subtle, the ones that aren't super syrupy or super sugary or super vanilla or cherry or whatever. I, I like a much more subtle style of aromatic. Yeah. And I made the aromatic cigar that way, too. And so it's going to be really interesting is it aromatic enough? I mean, I don't know that someone that smokes a Deadwood Sweet Jane is going to instantly go, oh, wow, aromatic number one. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it may not be enough for that person. It's it's going to be a really interesting brand launch. Yeah. Are you going to do a variety pack? I'm not. I mean, I have enough trouble it's getting them in box. boxes now as is. I mean, so... And I just assume that many retailers are just going to do that themselves. They're going to take yeah. one out of each of the four boxes and sell them yep. together. And I also think I think a lot of consumers are going to do that because it's very possible for you to really love one and really dislike another. It is yeah. really four distinct blends is what's really happening there. So you could love multiples. You could hate multiples. You could only like one, hate the others. You could hate them all. You could love them all. It's It's, it's going to be – it, it, it's just so different that I just don't know what to expect. And it's not like with everything else. I mean, when you make a super strong Uber Cigar, we know there's a market for it. Mm-hmm. We know what these consumers like to buy. We know what their favorite brands are. We kind of know there's an existing target audience. There is no target audience currently that exists for Stillwell Star. There's nobody out there that's saying, I want this. You know what I mean? So it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how it does. It yeah, I'm excited to
1: see where this brand goes. Yeah, absolutely.
2: It. And I and I, I have to say it's either gonna be a total stroke of genius on my part or I'm <laughs> gonna completely fall flat on my face. And I think it's 50-50 either way. I, I really I really don't know how consumers are gonna feel about these cigars. It's gonna be really interesting. And I'm not only interested in how the cigar consumers feel about it. I'm also really interested in how the pipe people feel about it. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. And because, you know, there are a lot of pipe smokers that smoke an occasional cigar. Yep. So there is that crossover. And there are people like me that are cigar smokers first, but smoke pipes. And look, the reason I got into pipe smoking was because when I was enlisted in the Navy, I couldn't afford to smoke these cigars. They were too costly. Yeah. But you could afford to smoke a pipe because the tobacco just went so much further. You could basically, you know, even at today's hot top end high luxury prices, you're rarely spending more than a dollar to a dollar fifty a bowl to smoke for 30, 40 minutes in a pipe tobacco. The
3: right. problem
2: is you have to be adept as a pipe tobacco smoker in order to get any sort of enjoyment out of it. and, right. that's, and, then, and then that's the major hurdle that most people try to smoke pipe. But they give up on it way, way too soon because they just can't figure out how to keep it lit. Yeah, can't figure out how to prevent that severe tongue bite that actually makes it really, really painful. Right. But when I was enlisted in the Navy, I had no choice but to figure it out because I couldn't afford to smoke, you know, two, three cigars every day. It just wasn't in the equation.
0: Well, and for me, that's why I, I mean, I, I own one pipe, and I smoke it three times a year four times a year it's pretty rare for me it's more it, i mean cigars is the absolute overwhelming majority of of the you know the, the tobacco i consume uh and it's you know but i i think the project is exciting and i know tons of consumers are excited for it i know we're excited for it uh and steve thank you so much for uh, I know it's been an insane time for you right now, but thank you so much for giving us some of your time on this Monday night.
2: No, absolutely my pleasure. For the record, we said this was going to go one hour, and by my looking at this, we went two hours and 12 minutes. So. Yes,
0: that is correct. <laughs> Which is okay.
1: <laughs> hey, so if you wouldn't mind uh, just hanging out in the green room when uh, after we close out the show, say a proper goodbye and uh, – yeah, we yeah. thank you so much for your time.
2: I want to say thank you to everyone that uh, listened. And uh, in case you're not bored, you can hear me in two more nights. And then you can hear me the night after that.
3: There but you then go. I
2: promise I have stopped saying yes to podcast requests. <laughs> so I don't think I have another one on my calendar until November 18th. So there nice. will actually be a whole three weeks of my fat head not being in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be great for the viewers.
0: <laughs> so for the for the viewers when you're missing seeing Steve on a podcast, just go back and rewatch how about that cigar episode 132. Yeah. And and mark down episode 239. Mark it down in your calendars. I don't have a date for it yet, but mark it in your calendars it will happen. <laughs> all right viewers and listeners thank you guys so much for making how about that cigar part of your regular podcast rotation part of your regular facebook and youtube viewing rotation we appreciate you guys so much uh for garrett or myself if you guys have questions email us from the website howboutthatsigar.com make sure to follow us on all social media at hbt cigar and of course until we see you guys next time burn cigars not bridges see you guys Thanks. thanks everybody